This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, October 13th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. The state of Utah took on an audacious experiment a few years ago, the regulatory sandbox, a way for new businesses to get up and running without so many government permission slips normally required, and then get that all-important feedback on how it's gone. Connor Boyack with the Libertas Institute says it's worth emulating. We checked in on the progress of the state's regulatory sandbox last month. I feel like a lot of the conversations that I'm having uh, in Atlanta this week are about pandemic recovery. And uh, Utah is is such an interesting state because it's it's a state where sometimes really good policy gets adopted seemingly out of nowhere. And uh, the regulatory sandbox, I think, is one of those things where it solve it speaks directly to a lot of problems with regulation generally yeah. so if if you wouldn't mind walk us through what this what it actually functionally means for uh businesses and would be not just entrepreneurs but would be entrepreneurs uh in utah well it's fun this this wasn't so much ex nihilo uh coming out of nowhere this was actually grew out of state policy network you and i are talking at the State Policy Network Conference, and they put together an event a few years ago to bring together groups like ours to talk about some innovative ideas. And we raised our hand. We're like, hey, we got an idea. Out of that meeting grew this this project, and we got the law passed first in the country, and it's spreading like wildfire. Uh, a regulatory sandbox is basically a legal safe space for an entrepreneur or a big company who wants to be shielded from a particular law or regulation that inhibits their business model or prevents their particular pr uh, product or service from being marketed and sold to the public. And so it's a way to say, hey, you know that law that's been on the books for 25 years, we actually wanna do something different. Maybe there's not political will right now to change the law, but can we do this kind of pilot project of a sort where you shield us from the law for a couple of years, we'll report, if there's any lawsuits, any harms, you know, the regulators are watching, they're reporting during the, the entire thing. But let's go out and gather some actual market data about what it would look like to operate under a lower regulatory environment. And that way, a legislator who's always caught between, you know, two sides, right? Let's say Libertas is going up to Capitol Hill and we're like, hey, we want to legalize food trucks. Back in the day, we passed the country's strongest food truck freedom law. And so when we go up there, it's like, hey, let's legalize food trucks. And then on the other side, you have the cities and towns and others are like, oh, but it'll be horrible. All these bad things will happen. Legislators, when they are caught in the middle of these lobbying efforts, are being forced to vote on things in a very low information environment. They don't know if the lobbyists for liberty are right and it will be utopia with all this innovation and entrepreneurship. Taco trucks on every corner. Oh, amazing, right? Especially on Tuesdays. Or if it will be doom and gloom and dystopia like everyone else is claiming. So they just don't have data and they operate from fear. They operate from misinformation. So the sandbox ultimately is a way to empower elected officials with data to say, hey, we went for a year or two. Here's how it worked. Everything was okay. Maybe we can loosen up a little bit. And finally, they can have a more data-driven decision when it comes to regulatory policymaking. And empower entrepreneurs to go digging through some regulations that, if suspended yeah. for their purposes, could, could engender a whole new uh, business model. And they're incentivized to do that. Think of this, uh, Caleb, you know very well, all these politicians on the right love to run on, you know, red tape reduction and I'm going to go and, you know, cut red tape. And then they get elected and they sit in a committee room and they look around, they're like, all right, so what should we work on? 
And they're not going to go read a 9,000 page, you know, set of rules. When you align incentives the right way, as this program does, and you go out to the business owners who know exactly what law or regulation affects them and say, we've created a process where you can raise your hand and tell us what we should work on. Suddenly out of the woodwork, you get all of these ideas. And then the elected officials who love to cut red tape are now empowered with ideas that they can go pursue. So it's actually well, been a really big help in that way. And, and a constituency. I mean, there sure. instantly there's a there's a small but uh, promising constituency to say this will help me. Yes, this will help me actually get my business off the ground or expand or do any number of things. So in the Utah case, what has happened? How how has this? Un unfurled. So this is a, you know, we're the first state to do it. So it took a little while to get the program after the law passed to get the rulemaking done and figure out how to correctly structure it. Um, and so that part, unfortunately, took a few months. But the program has now launched. Utah's sandbox is open for business. As we speak today, there are two companies that are officially in the sandbox that are operating with a suspension of a law that was, you know, preventing them from uh, operating in the way they wanted. And there are more applicants that are currently in the process of being considered. We have a variety of sandboxes in Utah. For example, we have a legal sandbox uh, that the courts operate uh, where there's like 30 plus companies who are now operating with lower uh, legal rules being imposed upon them so that they can be more uh, innovative and iterative to lower the cost of legal services. Um, and what's been really great about Utah is that the program administrator has been a great evangelist for this. He's been going out to conferences all summer to talk about sandboxes, but also importantly to connect with the 10 other states that have some sort of sandbox so that we can, the, the, the next hurdle to figure out is reciprocity. If I'm company X and I operate across the country, I don't want to have to go to apply to one sandbox at a time in every single state. What if I could apply to Utah's sandbox? And if approved, that would create some sort of reciprocity trigger through a previous agreement with those states to say, hey, look, you know, let's honor one another's sandboxes so that we don't have to kind of create all this uh, redundant, you know, extra burden. So that's what we're looking into right now. And what our sandbox team is talking to other states about is how do we coordinate and align these things so that these companies who are operating at scale can get way more regulatory efficiency as they go launch. Uh, what uh, other states are most interested in moving forward with this? So, you know, Arizona just passed uh, a universal sandbox following Utah's lead. They became the, the second state, which is super exciting. And we were glad to, to help them and see them do that. There are, I think, like 10 other states that have industry-specific sandboxes. You'll recall, Caleb, that this is where Utah started. We got Utah to do a financial technology sandbox first, and then an insurance sandbox and then we went for the all-inclusive or universal sandbox. So our strategy is we, Libertas is helping uh, organizations across the country get these sandboxes started with uh, support and grants and all kinds of things. And what we typically advise our partners is start with the industry specific, dip your toe in the water with one particular industry. A hot one right now is ag tech. Um, and so finding ways to bring technology and automation to agriculture where there's these arcane laws on the books, that's a very exciting thing. But we've got Nevada, Wyoming, South Dakota, Kentucky, West Virginia, Florida, North Carolina, Vermont. There, there last uh, this year, actually, there were 30 sandbox bills 
uh, introduced across the country. So it's a hot topic right now at all the big comp policy conferences. There's a lot of excitement about it. And so as you touched on earlier, Caleb, I think this policy uh, project, this idea touches a lot of these issues that a lot of us on the right have been wanting to do for a long time. So it is kind of a red hot thing right now. And it's very exciting to see how warmly it's been received by a lot of legislatures. We have a lot of state lawmakers who listen to the Cato Daily Podcast. Thank you, listeners, very much for doing so. Um, what is the pitch, the short pitch for try this? The short pitch is, you know, we are fallible creatures that can't foresee the future. And the worst thing in the world is to be a well-meaning, thoughtful, limited government, conservative legislator and pass a law that ends up a decade from now being the impediment that prevents this business from getting started in a way that we never could have foreseen. The sandbox is a way to be forward looking and say, look, we don't always get it right. Try as we might. There's going to be some crazy new idea in the future. Let's be an innovative, forward-looking state legislator to say, rather than you know, ticky-tacky passing this law and repealing that law, let's create a system. Let's create a program that can anticipate and welcome future innovations so that our state can be best positioned for economic development and recovery and innovation. It's a great way to invest in the future, not to reactively say, I'm working on this policy this year and then this law this year, instead to say, I'm excited about what's to come 10, 20 years from now that I don't even understand. I think that's a great legacy for a legislator to live. And that's why, in particular, our organization is so excited by the regulatory sandbox. One other thing that is implicated here, whether or not uh, certain people want to admit it, which is licensing. Uh, you know, for a long time, uh, the Institute for Justice, among other groups, uh, have been sort of sounding the sounding the alarm about what fraction of the American workforce has to have a license in order to do uh, their jobs. And uh, I would think that the regulatory sandbox, if implemented properly, would begin to chip away at the rationales for licensing so many different kinds of work. I think that opportunity is definitely there. In Utah's case in particular, we aimed the sandbox statutorily at innovative products, uh, services, and business models. So there has to be some claim, some demonstration by the applicant that, hey, I do things differently than regulators and legislators years ago you know, predicted or understood so that you have to at least try and say, I, I do things differently. I'm the Uber of whatever. Right. So licensing might be a little bit hard in that sense. However, I do feel like there is still enough opportunity. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, recently in St. George, Utah, there was a uh, individual who wanted to and actually did try setting up a mobile um, haircutting salon, basically a food truck for haircuts that would go around and show up wherever, walk in the truck, get a haircut and off you go. And again, here's someone who it's just haircutting. It's, it's cosmetology. It's a barber. It's a, it's occupational licensure, but he was also running into zoning issues and parking ordinances and all these things. And so here's something that no one ever imagined a mobile barber, uh, shop, you know, on wheels, but uh, but a sandbox could be an opportunity where he says, hey, this local uh, ordinance or, hey, that occupational license that says that you, you know, must operate in one location only or whatever. Like uh, the sandbox is just a great way to say we don't know what people are going to come up with in the future. Let's just anticipate that they're going to come up with different stuff than we can plan now and put a system in place that welcomes that innovation in the future. 
Connor Boyack is president of the Libertas Institute. We spoke last month. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.